Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. To state the obvious, innovation is hard, but in a time of COVID, it may be essential. Now, today I'm speaking with Jonathan Ellenswig, the CIO at Tricon Residential, to discuss some of the technology and innovation processes that have become a key part of their strategy. So thank you, John, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for having me, Gunnar. So, John, you wrote a, a wonderful article in the most recent issue of AFIRE Summit uh, called Revolutionizing Residential Operations. And in the article, you quoted Peter Drucker saying, innovate or die. Strong stuff. Uh, but my question is, what is the innovation mandate for technology in residential real estate? The typical resident in U.S. rental housing has a ton of technology at their fingertips every single day. They walk around with a smartphone that may run a lot of their life um, through apps like Alexa or Apple CarPlay. And so if you think about what they're used to in their daily life, we want to be able to and we should all aspire to transition that to the home or apartment where they live. So really, when I say innovate or die, it's about making sure that the home keeps pace with the technology that's going on outside of the home or that exists uh, in the resident's pocket or purse or in their office or at their in their car. So really making sure that we're providing them similar or better technology offering than they're seeing out there in the world. You know, I remember something similar uh, a couple of decades ago uh, where you differentiated rental properties by the quality of the kitchen finishes or some sort of amenity uh, in the common areas. Is, is this the next kind of amenity that becomes a requirement going forward? Where are we on that spectrum? Yeah, I definitely think it is. So think about something very basic, smart home technology. Imagine you can choose from two apartments and one has an old fashioned or traditional lock and you walk in and you turn on a traditional light switch and it's too hot and you walk over to the thermostat and you have to turn on the air conditioner and turn the temperature down. That's apartment one. Imagine apartment two where it has a smart lock. Imagine walking in and the lights are already on because you program them to turn on based on when you return from work every day. And imagine the temperature is actually set perfectly before you walk in. Let's say it's Phoenix. And it's the middle of the summertime and you know you want your temperature at 73 degrees every day when you walk in at 6.15 p.m. after work. Having a smart home offering, which is just a, a very basic product, allows you to do that. And I would say would make apartment two much more desirable than apartment one at, at a very modest cost. I think the, the value to the resident is immense. People are used to living their life today where everything is customi customizable, whether it's the background on their phone or the type of shoe that they buy from Nike, where you can pick every feature of, of, of your shoe. Um, and so people want customization. So really smart home is a way that allows people to customize their home or their apartment unit in a certain way by working with things like lighting uh, or smart thermostats to allow them to have their home set up the way they want when they want. The other question that I would have here then is that we're seeing in a time of COVID some, you know, some increasing out migration from city centers out to perhaps the suburbs or to smaller 
metro centers where you have a lot of apartment dwellers, perhaps looking at single family homes, in some cases even buying them. Uh, in this article you talk about over the next 10 years, you expect the renter population to grow from where it is today at 43 million to where it's going to be, you believe, or projecting to be 53 million in 2030. Do those kinds of predictions uh, are they, are they changed because of what's happening this year, or or do you think we're on track? W what does that look like in a post COVID world? It's a great question. I don't think they're dramatically changed. I think a lot of that is driven by demographic trends, um, which, which by and large are not changing as a result of COVID. I think you may see a slight change in the mix of where people live. So if people do feel they over time want to have access to more space or larger units, or access to a home office, maybe larger apartments or single family rental homes may be more desirous to some. Obviously, as you mentioned as well, I think suburban locations will continue to be desirable and may outperform. But I think by and large, the growth of the renter nation is driven by uh, demographics and broader economic trends. And, and, and COVID might you know, throw a hiccup in some of those. But if you look over a 10 year period, things will largely smooth out. Smooth out. You know, you talked a lot in the article. And, and again, I encourage anyone who's listening to this to, to sit down with uh, the next issue and, and really read through John's analysis of what's going to happen for the uh, residential rental uh, landscape. You talked a lot about the resident experience. You pointed to a couple of other areas where technology and innovation are happening, need to happen, for uh, those of us that are engaged in, in rental real estate. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question, Gunnar. I think one area where technology can really be leveraged is on the da data and analytics side. And the way I like to think about it is rental housing may be a leader in, in data and analytics across the real estate landscape. But when you look at the broader scope of the world and you loop in other industries like Google or Facebook or Tesla, maybe using data or analytics, I think we're all far behind where they are and can aspire to do a lot more. And I think really the first thing is collecting and storing and sorting and cleaning data appropriately. I think in a lot of cases, we all may be collecting or thinking we're collecting good data, but because we don't know how to organize it and store it properly, it isn't really easily accessible. And it may frankly just sit on a hard drive or a server or in the cloud somewhere without being mined properly. So the first is really setting up a data warehouse. And then two is, is putting in place the right tool and create the right dashboards and analytics and reports to help really drive performance, understand what are those KPIs in your business that you're looking to improve, and then finding the right data to pair up with those KPIs and then the right reports to allow you know, management and leadership teams, leadership teams to look at, at performance. So I think you know, data and analytics is, is one area where, again, rental housing has done a good job vis-a-vis -vis the broader real estate industry, but I think is still well behind many other industries that are out there. It occurs to me as you talk about, certainly, uh, if we have better data and analytics, we can make better strategic decisions as owner operators um, of rental real estate. But it also occurs to me one of the drives from the institutional investor marketplace globally is for more transparency, is for understanding better what's actually happening in the assets and to be able to look at it on a dashboard basis. Do you see this impacting your relationship with third party investors as well? I think it will serve to improve those relationships. I think investors, as they select managers or operators, um, you know, they ask a lot of great questions throughout the diligence 
process. And what we're beginning to see is more and more focus on, focus on the operating platform and the technology platform and really understand the broader landscape. And I think that those that have the best technology offering and the best data and, data and analytics um, do have the opportunity to outperform. And you also talked a bit about operating efficiencies, not just kind of the strategic, you know, how do we get more renters? How do we fulfill their needs? How do we retain those renters on a go forward basis? But what kinds of efficiencies do you think we're going to be finding or are already finding in this space? Sure. That, that's a great question. And, and, you know, one example of efficiencies that, that we are starting to see is we operate a call center that supports all of our rental housing businesses. And we're starting to layer in voice activated technology into our call center, much like you'd see with an airline or a credit card company. So where a resident can call in and they can use a voice activated menu to make sure they get directed to the right person. Or in some cases, their answer could actually, their, their question could actually be answered electronically versus by a live person. Now, at the end of the day, we always want to make sure our resident gets their answer quickly and gets to the right answer. And so in many cases that may require, or that might involve speaking to a live person. But in some cases, for example, if you drive by an apartment building and you want to know what the rent is, you can call a number and what rents are for one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom units that are available. That is something where I think in many cases, the renter or the potential resident would actually prefer just interacting um, with a virtual assistant versus a live person. It'll get them the answer faster, more seamless, seamlessly. Um, and without any interference. I, I wonder, though, when we talk about, you know, a big bulk of the renter population is is a, of a younger generation, which makes sense to me that when you talk about what residents want, they expect uh, always on tech, always being able to get the information they need just from their phones, etc. What I've been observing is certainly <clears throat> Generation Z really doesn't like talking to anyone on the telephone. Um, they're very loath to go there. How are you providing kind of information and services in a more kind of mobile digital format as well? I mean, you know, how do you approach that? Sure. And, and we found the same thing. And our goal is to provide residents with a variety of options. So in some cases, we might have a 65-year-old couple that wants to rent a suburban home in Tampa, and they might prefer to see that um, you know, outside of COVID, for example, with the assistance of, of a leasing agent, and they might want to speak to someone on the phone to answer their questions as they're going through the rental application. And that's great. But more and more, what we're seeing, as you mentioned, are Gen, or even Gen, who would really like to do things on their own without having to interact, uh, you know, especially live with people. And so, for example, if you want to rent one of our single family rental homes, you can go on the Tricon website. You can find that home. You can do a 360-degree tour online. If you'd like to go see that home, you can actually book a self-showing. You show up at the home. You actually open up your app. You look at your phone. And much like the way your phone turns on using facial recognition, once the app recognizes you, it will virtually open the door to that home. So you can actually walk into that home remotely. You can then tour it on your own. After you leave, when the door closes, we would actually get to the home message um, asking you if you'd like to speak to someone on the phone or if you'd like to move forward with a rental application. You could then actually complete that application online electronically without speaking to anyone. You could actually get to your move-in date without speaking to anyone. And if you so choose, you can actually do a virtual move-in with a concierge where instead of a live person being there on your move-in, we can do that all virtually as well. They can walk you through all of the features and attributes of your home. But if your preference is to do that all virtually, which again, during COVID, is a major benefit, we can accommodate that too. So what we really want to do is provide people with choice. 
And we're finding, depending on the generation, more and more people prefer being remotely their own without the assistance of a live person. But in some cases, people prefer that, uh, that, that human touch. And we're trying to offer that to them as well. This all sounds to me like uh, very much a first-class experience, a class A um, rental experience. Certainly the greatest area of demand uh, in the U.S. is for affordability, affordable housing. Uh, how does this translate perhaps to a class B offering or does it not uh, in, in terms of this kind of innovation, this kinds of technological innovation where maybe you don't have the same kind of margin to work with? Yeah, I, I think this really transcends asset class and in many ways product type. So whether it's a garden apartment or a detached, scattered, single family rental home, you can still have a smart lock on the door and still use technology to allow someone to do a self-showing. And the technology in and of itself is relatively inexpensive. Uh, really, the costs are more on the back end to make sure that an operator has the right systems in place to implement it, to have data integrity and security, to make sure that it stays active and doesn't have downtime. So it's really on the operator's ability to, to launch this, does transcend asset classes, and allows for someone uh, renting, whether it's a you know $1,100 apartment, a $1,700 single-family rental home, or a $3,500 a month um, luxury high-rise unit to have a similar technology offering. And that's what we think people want. Again, the cost of an iPhone, you, know, you can buy a less expensive iPhone for maybe four or $500. You can buy a more expensive iPhone for over $1,000. Uh, and what you're finding is most renters will have an iPhone or other you know, Android uh, phone in their pocket regardless of their income. So we also think that having a technology offering in rental housing really transcends price point. We often talk about technology in terms of, I just need to buy something. I need to buy a new technology. I need to buy, you know, whatever the wireless lock or the virtual uh, capability is. But it sounds to me like you're talking about there's something else that has to be done in terms of how you operate. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges, the, the lessons learned in terms of moving your operations to take advantage of these uh, very efficient, very inexpensive, and very powerful technologies. So, so in order to really, I think, make these technologies work, uh, you have to have the back-end infrastructure that accommodates them. So, so here's an example. In our single-family rental homes, we've begun uh, installing water sensors beside the hot water tank and under the sink to detect any kind of leaks, with the view that if we can detect leaks early, we can get into your home and perform preventative maintenance. So in order to really, you know, the, the sensors themselves are not that expensive, but in order to install them, number one, you need some kind of a, you know, Wi-Fi hub or wireless hub that's in the home that we install. But you also need the right technology on the back end to make sure you can monitor, monitor them. Because much like I said earlier about data warehouses and data aggregation, it's one thing to have a, a water sensor that might detect a, a moisture leak. leak but you need to have someone in the back end who's actually monitoring that or they get, that gets an alert and that can quickly respond to that alert um, to be able to make sure that you can take advantage of the benefits of knowing that there's beyond. But really, twofold. The, the physical technology to put in the home or in the unit may be less expensive, but there is a back end investment and infrastructure that's required to make sure that you're able to use it effectively. But it sounds to me like that investment is somewhat scalable. Um, so the, the larger your portfolio, the less that back office on a per tenant basis costs. Would that be an accurate assessment? Yes, completely agree. It's definitely scalable technology. So if you have a larger portfolio, 
you're able to amortize that upfront or that setup cost across more units. So can you talk a little bit about your innovation process and, and what aspects, how do you design that? How do you work with your teams around that? What are some of the surprises as well as what are, you know, both to the negative and to the positive um, as you innovate? What we've done in particular uh, in our operations uh, department is we've created, you know, an innovation lab or an idea lab where people are allowed to test out ideas where, you know, we allocate resources and we really allow people to try things out. And, and I think that, you know, unless you're willing to fail, um, you're not going to succeed in innovation. And we encourage people to test out different ideas. And we recognize that some of those will work and some of those may not work or they might be too early or premature to roll out across our entire business. And we appreciate that. And we do all of these tests in a controlled way. We want to encourage people to, you know, use the latest technology, um, you know, use the latest things that are out there and see how we can offer those to our residents to improve their lives, improve our business, improve the quality of our product, improve our efficiency. So, you know, a great example um, on the successful side, for example, is our facial recognition technology, where, as I mentioned earlier, you can walk up to any of our rental homes, pull out your smartphone, open up our application, um, look at the phone. And as long as your visual identity compares to that of your driver's license that you've submitted to us already, the door will open and allow you in for a self-show. But at the same time we were testing that out, we tested out another idea. Um, you know, we had this great idea that our maintenance technicians could show up at a home and use a drone to fly over the home. And with infrared sensors, they could actually detect any air or heat leaks coming out of a roof or windows. And we thought well, that would be great because one of our goals is to make sure we're providing residents with essentially an, an airtight or leak-proof home um, that will help on utility costs and efficiency of, of, the operating, of the operations of the home. So we tested that out. We realized um, you know, the drone technology was there. The photo technology was kind of there. But being able to analyze and use that data was going to be very cumbersome, very expensive, and we couldn't make the cost-benefit work. So that's an idea that down the road we may roll out and we've tested out. Now we have more familiarity with drones. We have more familiarity with infrared technology and infrared cameras, but we just decided that wasn't there yet. So for us, it's really giving our team a safe sandbox or a safe environment to innovate in, you know, managing our spend across these various innovations and then picking the winners and rolling those out across the broad, uh, broad platform or broad portfolio. Well, uh, we have come to the end of our time here, John, and I, I would love to kind of keep talking about it. I encourage um, all our listeners to read his article in A Fire Summit, but also uh, to reach out to Tricon, uh, learn about what they're doing, how they're doing it. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating uh, how innovation in residential real estate is changing the landscape. So thank you, John, for joining me on the A Fire podcast. Thank you, Gunnar. I really appreciate it and uh, hope that the listeners uh, find this informative. Before we close out today, I want to make sure that we thank our underwriters, Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners for making our programming possible. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy 
of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of a fire.